0: Good morning. Uh, you can have all the world give me Jesus. That's the, that's the answer. That's where we're get heading this morning. So we already sang it. Now the answer to this, uh, this division that we have in us is that we have Jesus. And so I'm, I'm telling, I always liked this in, uh, when I was in school, when the professor or teacher would tell me the answer in advance This is where we're going. It's not a mystery. Now I'm going to show you how you get there. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, in these verses we find what what many have called uh, the divided man. Now, forms of this man are are found outside of the Scripture. In psychology, uh, Freud divided uh, us into three parts. The id, our our primitive desires, the ego, which balances our desires with the reality of our world, and then the superego, which reflects our moral values, our our ideals. In literature, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson pictured a divided man in his classic novel, Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and then there's my favorite literary fictional divided man. Any guesses? I'm divided about whether to share this or not. By the way, it's a little revealing. I'm a little self-disclosure here. Anybody? He's pretty divided. That's right. That's a good one. What's that? I'm not. I'm not that sophisticated. Uh, Gollum. Hulk, I'm not that... That's, that's a good one too. But mine is the comic book villain, Two-Face. Two-Face was once the district attorney of Gotham City, a representative of law and order named Harvey Dent. But after half of his face was horribly scarred by acid, he went a little crazy and developed a, a second evil criminal personality. So within one man, there's a continual internal uh, struggle between his good side and his evil side. Now I know this is just a comic book, but the reality of the divided man is not just a, a Freudian construct, construct or a fictional device. We see it in our lives and we see it in Scripture. Romans chapter 7 Verses 14 to 25 gives us the the biblical description of the divided man. But before we get to this description, we need to understand the context in which it's given. Notice Paul begins verse 14 of Romans 7 by writing, For we, and and you might note that that we because it's the last we, after that he's going to shift to I, but for we know that the law is spiritual. Uh, what i 've talked about before have point, has brought us to this conclusion. This points us to the context of the divided man. This is what 's gone before. we know that the law is spiritual since Romans chapter seven verse seven paul 's been defending the law. The law is good now the reason he 's defending the law we have to go back to what he 's written throughout the book of Romans, Romans chapter one one to seven six he 's repeatedly written. That the law, whether it's the, the, the written law of Moses, the, God, the written law, God's law written on our hearts, any of that, all of that plays no part in declaring us to be righteous or making us righteous in any way before God. Our salvation, uh, our justification, the declaration of our righteousness that you're right before God, and then our, our sanctification, uh, the process that we live out in this Christian life of becoming more righteous, do not, neither one of those, uh, depend on, come through keeping the law. In fact, both come, uh, come by turning and turning from, and, from the law and, and trusting in our own ability to keep the law. And instead, we must trust in the only one to perfectly keep the law, Jesus Christ. So we have to turn from the law and we have to turn to Christ. We're saved and we're sanctified by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone apart from the law. Jesus is the answer. And that's Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, 6 in a nutshell. So the question comes in verse 7 of Romans 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. And what follows in verse Romans 7 7 through 25, that's where we are in the the midst of that, is Paul's defense of his by no means answer. Yes, it's true that the law cannot and does not save or sanctify, but that doesn't mean the law is sin. It means that the law was meant for a different purpose. And this is what we've seen in verses seven through thirteen of Romans seven. We've seen not only the purpose of the law, but we've seen how sin corrupts and uses the law for its own purposes. The law was given by God uh, first to reveal our sin, but sin, our rebellion against God, our rebellious sinful nature, uses the law to to cause us to sin even more. We see uh, the the prohibit prohibit prohibition can't do this and the sin within us says but i want to do that it provokes in us sin the law was given to show second our condemnation for sin and our need for a savior but sin using the law deceives us into thinking that we can become our own savior that we can achieve our own salvation through law keeping the law is not sin the law reveals sin and the law condemns for sin therefore paul makes it clear romans 7:12 through 13 so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good did that which is good then bring death to me is the law is the law a killer by no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Talked about that last week. Sin is the killer. The law, which is good, is its weapon. The law can't be the problem. It's spiritual. It comes from God. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. The problem is that I am a sinner. And that leads to Paul's description of this divided man, which I'm going to read. In just a second, the full, this is the Romans 7. If you've been with us through Romans, this uh, Romans 7, uh, 7, 14 through 25. How many verses is that? Do the math. Nine or so. This is the largest portion that I've ever attempted to cover in one sermon. <laughs> and, and just so you know, I'm not sure if we won't be back to it next week, by the way, even though we're going to walk through it all, but, but uh, as I read it, I want you to notice the personal pronouns, the I's and the me's and the my's. And I want you to take those personal pronouns personally. I want you to see yourself in this divided man. Follow along as I read Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow it there. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you might want to highlight something in there. For we know that the law is spiritual... We know that because of what has been said before. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for i have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out for i do not do the good i want but the evil i do not want is what i keep on doing now if i do what i do not want it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells within me so i find it to be the law that that when i want to do right evil lies close at hand for i delight in the law of god in my inner being but gives us the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. But we need to get there. We need to walk through it. These verses speak of a man with a divided will or or a divided heart. There is the part of him, the I, who wants to do good and doesn't want to do evil. And there's the part of him, the I, who who does not do the good that he wants, but does the evil he does not want. Chad said this morning we're talking about, this is certainly the most schizophrenic uh, passage in the Bible today. And the question that, that many have asked, maybe you've asked, is who is this divided man? Who are we talking about? Now, all the personal pronouns uh, point to the one who wrote this letter, right? He's, he's specifically saying, I, remember we talked about how before this, the use of uh, the word, the, the personal pronouns, I's, me, and my, there was like eight of them, in all of Romans before this and now we get here and there's 40 some odd he's he's specifically saying something about himself it's paul paul is this is this divided man but the question is is it paul or or saul of tarsus the unbeliever is he writing about his experience before he came to christ This this guy who persecuted the church, or is it Paul the believer? Is he writing about sometime after his conversion on the Damascus Road? And this is a difficult question. And plenty of thoughtful people have come down on both sides of this. Some believe that a believer, someone who's united with Christ, you know, all the things we've talked about, justified by faith, united with Christ, dead to sin, could never say the words, I am of the flesh sold under sin, in verse 14. That doesn't sound like you died to sin. People also have a a problem with the fact that, that this I, Paul, seems to confess his seemingly regular, even compulsive sin, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so over the ages, uh, some people have concluded that Paul is talking to himself, not talking to himself, that would be even more schizophrenic. He's talking about himself prior to his conversion, prior to his experience on the Damascus Road. But I want to make a case that Paul is writing about his experience as a Christian. Not that these verses describe everything about his Christian life, or or that that this means this was his constant experience, but that this describes how he, at times, as a Christian, struggled with sin in his life. That present Paul is the divided man. Now, why is it important? Why does it matter who this guy is? Because if it's Paul or Saul, the non-Christian, then we Christians can look at these verses and think, Okay, these don't apply to me. I can uh, wipe these out. This is just him setting up something else. This is the past. But if it's Paul, the apostle, the missionary, the author of Scripture, the the Christian, then this passage brings us face-to-face not only with Paul's struggle with sin, but it also points to our own struggle. And more than that, as we'll see, it also leads Paul and it will lead us to the only solution for this struggle. Wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. So let's first look at four reasons why many Bible scholars believe Paul is writing about himself as a Christian. These aren't the only reasons and I'm going to cover them quickly, but I think they're good reasons. First, uh, I sort of mentioned this, but Paul's change of verb tense. Now, I don't want to get technical or grammatical, but this is important. This is something we would clearly see if we were reading the passage in the original Greek where we could see the the tenses of the verbs more clearly. The verbs of verses 7 to 13, which we've been in in the past couple weeks, are all in the past tense. They speak of what's gone before. And if you remember, when we looked at these verses, I, I mentioned they referred to Paul's experience prior to his conversion. I think that was his, him talking about himself before he met Christ. But from verses verse 14 on, all the verbs change to the present tense. They refer to what was happening as Paul was writing. For example, when Paul says in verse 19, For I do, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The verbs, the dos, the doings are all in the present active tense. Paul's saying that that it's it's in his present experience to do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. And this is the case for all the verbs in these verses. Therefore, a natural reading, if you're just looking at it, you're reading it naturally, you would think Paul is speaking of himself in the right now. Second, The change in Paul's situation. Verses 7 through 13 talk about uh, sin killing him. He's a dead man in those verses. And that's why we're talking about his pre conversion state. That's why it's in the past tense. Again, last week we talked about how prior to his conversion, he was dead in his sins. But from verse 14 on, Paul describes an ongoing struggle with sin, a struggle in which he refuses to surrender. For example, verses 16 and 17, we read, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is I, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You can sense the struggle. He's doing what he doesn't want to do. He's saying it's not him, but sin that does it. The struggle with sin didn't exist prior to his conversion. He's doing what he doesn't want to do. He's saying it's not him, but sin that does it. The struggle with sin didn't exist before he was saved because he was dead in his sin. But the situation has changed. Now he's alive in Christ and and that that living in Christ creates this struggle, this battle that begins and, and continues. Third, Paul says, Paul delights in the law, in God's law. Verse 22, he writes, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Even though sin is clearly at work within Paul, uh, within his life, Paul delights in the law of God. And we know, if we read Scripture, that, that unbelievers before conversion cannot truly delight in God's law in their heart of hearts in their inner being. Romans 8-7, next chapter, Paul will write, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. A mind set on the flesh, hostile to God, cannot also delight in God's law in his inner being. So, so that's a, that's an argument that in Romans seven twenty two, Paul is talking about himself as a believer. And finally, fourth, Paul admits to being a sinner. Verses 23 and 24, he writes, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, there's a war. There's a battle raging that doesn't take place in the life of an unbeliever. And that war is fueled by the the law of sin that Paul admits dwells in his members. Throughout this passage, Paul sees and admits his own sinfulness. And this is something that a a, a prideful Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, would never have done. In fact, this is something that non-Christians are incapable of doing. Before we come to Christ, we're unaware of being lost And and so sinful that we cannot save ourselves. But Paul sees clearly his own sin and knows he cannot deliver himself from it. He knows he's a wretched man who needs deliverance. So the evidence in the text, I believe, points to this divided man being present Paul, even a mature believer. And what that means, what that means for us is this passage describes and really applies to every believer. This is not unique to Paul, this is certainly his story, but it's our story as well. Like Paul, we can say, present I is the divided man or woman. That's a short, you know, you got a big lot of, to underline if you're taking notes. Just It's just I, just that one uh, I that goes there. And since we're getting personal, since we're using the personal pronouns, it's only fair that I confess that as someone who's, who's who's saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, as someone who's been a Christian, gone to church, studied God's Word for 40 years, as someone who's, who's been in some kind of ministry even for 35 years, these verses describe at times my own personal experience. This isn't my constant Christian experience, but I relate to every word. This is maybe more evidence for why this is talking about uh, Paul as a mature believer because it talks about us even as mature believers. I am the divided man. And my years of Christian ministry and, and discussions and small groups and spending time with believers makes me confident in saying that these verses describe each and every one of you as well. We can all say, I am the divided man because first, the reality is we can all say, I struggle with sin. In my Christian life, I've experienced uh, plenty of defeat. Yes, there's also been victory. There's also been progress, growth. I'm not the same man I was 40 years ago because I wasn't even a man. I was a 13-year-old boy. Okay, But the struggle continues, right? And I will continue uh, to struggle until I see Jesus face to face. We all struggle with with, and at times uh, we give in to sin. There's this struggle and there's these temptations and there's times when we fall to the temptations, to the sin. We can see our struggles ourselves in Paul's struggle recorded in these verses. Verse 14, but I am of flesh sold under sin. I still have this flesh. I still struggle with this flesh. There's this body that, that desires these things that my heart doesn't want. I came into this world as a slave to sin, sold in sin and my flesh, and that slavery haunts me. They continually seek to rear their ugly head in my life. Verse 17 and 20, sin that dwells within me. Sin has no control. We've talked about this. Remember the context. If, you're, if you've only got this, this part, go back and read the rest of Romans. We already learned sin is no longer the authority, the power. I'm dead to sin. Sin has been defeated in Christ, but it still dwells in me. It still seeks to bring me down. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For now, I experience life in the flesh, in the body of sin where where no good dwells. My flesh continues to plague my every step. I'm continually tempted with pride and lust and anger and many other things. Verse 19, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I know the difference between right and wrong. But I keep doing the wrong. Not every time, but too many times to count. I'm not only tempted, but too often I give in to those temptations. Verse 21, evil lies close at hand. Even evil that I thought I was over keeps showing up. It keeps returning. It doesn't go away. If I stop fighting, evil will win. It'll gain that foothold in my life. Verse 23, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That word law here is best, best defined, not, not, not speaking of the law of Moses, but law as a principle. There are different principles at work, battling for dominance in my life. And at times the principle of sin that dwells in my members wins the struggle and holds me captive, I am at times defeated and fall to sin. The reality is, for each of us, we will in this life, until we come face to face with Jesus Christ, in the next, we will continue to struggle with sin. As we've talked about before, we must therefore fight against the sin that dwells in our members. In fact, the idea that that if I become a Christian, if you're out there here visiting today, you haven't given your life to Christ, and you're thinking, "What in the world? I don't want to get into this." It's but but the idea that if we become a Christian, that the battle will cease is a fallacy. The battle grows. The battle gets harder. The battle becomes real. As a non-Christian, you just keep giving in, and you don't even notice. It's not till Christ enters in that the battle begins. Pastor Tim Keller writes, just as a wounded bear is most dangerous, excuse me, more dangerous than a healthy and happy one, our sinful nature might become more stirred up and active because the new birth has mortally wounded it. When we come to Christ, our, our sin nature is mortally wounded. It's dethroned. It no longer is in authority and power, but that causes it to fight even harder, to claw its way. Our struggle with sin is not evidence, get this, our struggle with sin is not evidence that you're not a Christian, that you're not saved. It's evidence that you are. But the key word here, the key word is struggle. There's something else taking place in our hearts and minds. This is the other side of the divided person. If you're in Christ, if you're saved by grace through faith, then you can say with Paul, yes, I struggle with sin, but I desire to obey God. It's really the question. Everyone struggles, everyone sins, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But is there that desire? Is is there that counterpoint that's seeking to obey God? In these verses, we see Paul's and our struggle with sin, but, but, but a struggle implies another side. There's another part of us that fights against sin. We see it throughout these verses as well. If you're a believer, then you will see yourself in these verses. Verse 16, I agree with the law that it is good. I know that God's will and God's way and God's word, God's law is good. It's good for me. And verse 18, I have a desire to do what is right. Verse 21, I, 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 so I find it the law that, that when I want, I want to do what right, We desire, we want to do what is right. We want to obey God. We want to follow His commandments. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Again, deep in my heart, we delight in the law of God. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So on the one hand, we continue to struggle with sin, but on the other hand, we desire to obey God. This creates some really great conflict. Sometimes we want to do this. Sometimes we want to do that. We want to be this. We want to be that. We are divided people, torn between sin and obedience to God. And so the question is, who is the true me? Will the real me please stand? This is so crucial for us to understand. And sometimes when we don't, it causes uh, deep depression even. Yes, there's a battle. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, we can uh, continue in sin, but we must understand that for a Christian, even though there's still conflict, the question of who you truly are is settled. Look back to verse 22. This is key. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That phrase inner being refers to our heart of hearts. Our, our true self, who we really are. Some translations render it my innermost self. The law of God, obedience to God, is our innermost delight. Of course, Paul sees that there is still a powerful force of sin and rebellion within, but those desires are not truly him. And if you're in Christ, those desires are not truly you. In verse 20, he writes, Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. As a Christian, you have experienced an identity transformation. It's no longer I, the true you, who does what you don't want to do. It's something other. Something that dwells within you. It's sin that dwells within you. Paul describes the true you in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, you've been made new. The true I really seeks God and loves His law and loves holiness. Although sin remains with uh, some strength, it no longer controls who you are in Christ. It can still lead us to disobey God. But now, sinful behavior goes against our deepest understanding of who we are. Even in defeat, the Christian has a change of consciousness. The I, the real me, hates sin and loves the law of God. Sin, on the other hand, is seen as this foreign invader. It's not part of me, even though it dwells in me. Now you might ask, if the true me is the me that desires to obey God, then why, in these verses, why in my life, does it seem that like, uh, seem like the invader, the, the sin achieves so much victory? If the true me is the one who desires to obey God, why do I continue to sin? Well, we've already talked about the fact that there's a battle raging between the law of my mind and the law of sin, between my inner being and this foreign invader. We've, we've used illustrations in the past that, that of, of a, in your life, there, there's a new, uh, you have a new king, uh, new reigning, but the, the foreign invader, the, 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 let me get this straight in my head. The ones he's dethroned still exist they're still part of your inner being your body and in all these battles that take place there are victories and there are defeats and even as we become more mature in christ the battle does not subside you would think you know if you've been a christian for a year three two years five years think okay When I've been a Christian for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, this will be no more. Well, I'm here to say that's not the case. For the more mature and spiritually discerning we get, the more we see uh, the sin in our own lives, in our own hearts. The, The more holy we become, the less holy we feel. Even when we, on the one hand, know and see ourselves making progress against sinful habits and attitudes... At the same time, we grow more and more aware of our rebellious, sinful roots, the sinful nature within us. The holier we are, the more we cry about our unholiness. There are certain sins in, in my life that I struggled against and, and rejoiced that God has given me victory. But at the same time, His spirit continues to reveal areas of sin that I have to deal with on a daily basis. Bottom line, for better or for worse, in this life, each and every one of us is a work in progress. There will be victories and there will be defeats. The question isn't how many times you fall. The question is, do you get back up in the power of God, in the power of Christ, in the spirit he's given you, and continue to move forward? And so this explains, in my mind, part of the reason for our continual struggle with sin. It it, it is, in many ways, the nature of the beast. And there's a certain amount of comfort even in this fact. As you struggle with the sin in your life, know that you're not alone. As you read this passage in uh, Romans 7, know it's not written just about you. That Paul, the apostle, was writing it. And it refers to all uh, believers. As you struggle with sin in your life, know you're not alone. It's, it's typical when, when we sin to think that we're a terrible people that we're wicked or immature. But Romans 7, I think maybe this is many of the reasons why it's there, encourages us that temptation and conflict with sin, even some relapses into sin, are consistent with, with being a growing Christian. So, and this is, I know this is dangerous stuff to say. This is what Scripture is saying. So at least in part, the answer to why we continue in sin is the fact that sin continues to dwell in us and we continue to battle, experiencing victories and defeats. But let me be quick to say, I, don't, I want to make sure you aren't hearing what I'm not intending to say. The fact that we struggle with sin, the fact that sin will continue until we see Christ face to face, never must never mean that we take sin lightly, that we should ever stop fighting against it. This, this passage describes a struggle with sin, uh, not a giving in to sin. That we should never resign ourselves to defeat. That's why this description of the divided man in chapter 7 comes after Paul's admonition in chapter 6 that that being under grace, being in Christ, in no way implies that you're to continue in sin. By no means. We're, We're slaves to obedience, he says. We're slaves to God. We're married to Jesus Christ. Christ loves us, and we love Christ. We cannot and must not continue in our sin. So even though we will continue to struggle in our life, we must always, out of love for Christ, strive for victory over our sin. And that brings us to another factor that continues and and contributes to our defeats. Yes, there are victories and defeats, but often the defeats come because we're fighting with the wrong weapon. We We try to use and, and this is what Paul's talking about in this passage. We try to use the law to overcome our sin. Remember, Paul's defending the law. In verses 7-13, he showed that the purpose of the law is to reveal and to condemn sin. But we, we can in our own power use the law to try and defeat sin. But verses 14-25, to 25, Paul is making it clear that the, the believer cannot keep the law. This is the point. You, believer, on your own, cannot keep the law of God. You cannot obey God. Sin still dwells in you. In these verses, Paul's looking at at his struggle from a particular perspective. He's emphasizing that in yourself, even as a Christian, you're incapable of keeping the law. He's saying, in myself, I am still unable to live as I should, even even as I desire to deep inside to live as I should. Even though there's a new identification, a new love and delight in the law of God, a Christian is still completely incapable of keeping the law. And so the answer to the question, why do I continue in sin? Why do I continue to disobey God's law? The answer is not just because battling sin is the normal part of the Christian life and there are victories and defeats, but we can also continue in sin because we're seeking to obey the law to overcome sin ourselves in our own power, in our own ability. We even think this makes us more lovable to God, that God will accept us more if we can, in our own power, overcome the sin in our lives. We're seeking to discipline ourselves to keep the law and therefore become more righteous before God. But that was never the law's purpose. The law was given to reveal our sin and show our condemnation for our sin. The law was given not to overcome our sin, but to show us our need for a Savior. And that leads us to the final question, to the final point, to the answer this morning. How do I overcome my sin? When we realize how impossible it is for us in ourselves to obey the law of God even though it's the desire even though you you have this desire within you to do it it leads us to cry out for deliverance for deliverance beyond ourselves why can't why do I keep doing what I don't want to do because I'm trying to do it on my own That's what Paul does In verse 24 he cries wretched man that I am Who will deliver me from this body of death? That word wretched means miserable. It's from the word that means there's a heavy weight upon you. You can't get up. I'm miserable, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from the turmoil and pain and sin and death of being this divided man? When we read God's law uh, properly, when we understand it, and when we look at ourselves, our own lives honestly, we can only conclude that we are uh, wretched. The purpose of the law is to show us our wretchedness. If you're reading the law and you're seeing, oh, I'm good there, good there, this is good, and it's building you up, then then you're not reading it right. You need to read it so it shows you your wretchedness. And without accepting this wretchedness, we'll never see our need for the gospel We'll never truly appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ that provides for our righteousness. We are wretched, and Christ provides us with righteousness. Only if our hearts truly cry out in our wretchedness is, is that when we can know the hope and the liberation of looking away from ourselves and looking to what God has done through Jesus Christ. Who will rescue uh, uh, us? Who will rescue Paul and us? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord! Exclamation point. By his own efforts, even as a Christian, even as the Apostle Paul, he knows that he will fail in his own efforts. He knows the truth of his divided nature. He knows the sin that dwells within him. He knows he does not do what he wants to do. He states that truth again at the end of verse 25. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. In his mind, he desires to obey God's law, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul's emphasizing again that there is no hope in ourselves for our salvation or for our sanctification our obedience to God. All we are and all we've done and all we will do merits only the wrath of God. For our salvation, we can only ever look to God's Son dying on the cross for us. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord and for our sanctification, for our growth and obedience to God on on a daily basis, for real change to take place in our life, we can only look to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We cannot and must not, and we fall into this so often. It's so crazy. We as Christians know, I hope we know, that there is nothing we can possibly do to save ourselves, that we have to trust in Christ. But then once we come to Christ... We start thinking, okay, now it's my turn. I'm going to take it on. You know, I'm going to obey the law. God's going to love me now more than uh, because I'm obeying the law. We cannot and must not rely on our own efforts, our own self-discipline to keep the law, to obey God. But instead, we must look to God, who through Jesus Christ gives us His Spirit, and it's through the Spirit of God that our lives, our, our relationships, who we are, can be transformed. We are wretched. I and you are wretched. We're miserable. But God is not. Through His Son, He's rescued us. And through His Spirit, He's changing us. And so as you, uh, uh, the divided, the, the wretched man or woman, continue to struggle with sin, you must, I must, we must continually cry out to God. This is the answer, folks. We must continually run to God and rely on Jesus Christ for the supernatural power, the Spirit-infused power, to overcome the sin in our lives. Know this. I'm paraphrasing uh, something that Pastor Tim Keller said. The gospel proclaims that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. You think you're sinful? You haven't. You, have, you haven't scratched the surface. I haven't scratched the surface. We are more sinful than we've ever dared to believe. We don't even know how, because we're not God. God is perfect. We're not perfect. So we're judging our own sin from an imperfect place. We are the divided men. Yet at the same time, and this is the gospel, in Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. We're more sinful and flawed than we could ever know. And we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And so we can cry out to God and we can trust that God will answer. We can pray and trust that God will be there for us and we can pray, God, forgive our sins and change our hearts. Jesus, by Your Spirit, give us the power to resist temptation and overcome sin. Provide that escape for us, Lord, in You. Draw us to Yourself. Use your word in our lives to empower us and change us. The answer is Jesus. The answer is going to Jesus every day, all the time. The answer is a continual relationship with Jesus. Now, there's help that Jesus gives us. Praise the Lord. He gives us one another. That's a big one, right? He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in this battle. But we always have to come back. If you're relying on your brothers and sisters, uh, They will fail you. You always have to come back to Jesus. Jesus will empower you. Jesus will take you out of your state of misery and lift you up. Would you pray with me and would you agree with me? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you looked down and you saw our wretchedness. You saw our misery. You saw our divided nature. Even as Christians, Lord, you saw that we struggle on a daily basis to do what we know is right. We read your word. We read your law. You give us your law written on our hearts, Lord, and we can't do it. And we're wretched. But, Lord, you didn't look down and say, I can't handle these people. Lord, you looked down and said, I'm going to save these people. I'm going to save them from their sin, and I'm going to walk with them through this process of sanctification. In Christ, we have the deliverer. In Christ, we have the one who can, who can t- take us out of our misery. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for each one here, that when we encounter the battle, when sin that dwells within us, seeks to tempt us to to do the wrong. Lord, we won't look to ourselves. Lord, we'll look to Christ. Give us that power. Give us that ability to look to Christ every time, to call on Christ. Christ, give us your power to overcome the sin in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.